This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to another edition of HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, I'm, I'm speaking to uh, Eric Good from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I talked to Eric a few times, and uh, Eric's doing some, some pretty cool stuff down in Fort Lauderdale, just getting some extremely good uh, results from good control. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what he's doing and uh, how he's basically able to clear the dog's head and get the results that we want when, we're, when the dog's in a, you know, a in drive, high state of drive. So I'm going to let Eric kind of talk about his background and... Uh, say a few things. So Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. If you don't mind, could you kind of give the listeners your uh, bio and how long you've been doing this? I know you've, you've worked several different dogs down there and you've been training for quite a while. So tell them what, what you're up to down there. Yeah. So um, I came into law enforcement. My uh, father was a police officer and uh, I always looked up to him. And um, one day I told him I want to do a ride along and um, he set me up. I went on a ride along with a guy named Mark Renner, who um, later ended up becoming a mentor to me. So day one on this ride along, I don't know anything. We get in a um, couple car chases and have a bailout. Uh, and it was just, I was hooked. So that led me into law enforcement. Um, and from there, I uh, what what pushed me towards canine was seeing the canine guys and what they were doing. You know, they're the tip of the spear out there searching for guys. And not only that, they're the guys that are doing the proactive police work. So I said, that's what I want to do. And um, was very fortunate to be able to go over to canine um, with three years on the job. Oh, well. So, yeah, things kind of fell into place and and I was lucky. So it worked out and. Um, Got my first dog and, you know, was was learning, learning a lot, um, starting from scratch. And we were fortunate. We got a lot of real applications. We were deploying a lot. And, and that's where I think my basis of uh, training experience comes from, from deployment. Sure. So, so how long have you been handling a dog now? It's been 13 years. Okay. Um, and then uh, you've handled a few different dogs over that time? Yeah, so I'm on my third single-purpose patrol dog, and uh, our dogs are single-purpose, obviously, and um, I worked a single-purpose EOD dog as well for two years because I wanted to get my hands on uh, on that side of things yeah. and, and learn about the detection work. So And now, I as I understand, you're the, the trainer for the department? Yeah, so I'm now the head trainer for uh, for the canine unit. And um, been doing that for a few years now, and and just having a blast and learning as much as I can. So, how many dogs do you guys have that you're responsible for training? So we have eight dogs in our um, we call it apprehension or single sure. purpose patrol unit, and then we have about ten detection dogs, which I I help train them. I'm not their full time head trainer, but I, I do assist with them. Sure. And uh, how many cops do you have overall in your agency, roughly? We have around 550 police officers in our agency. So 
actually it's quite a few dogs for the number of cops you have. So it seems like uh, the, does your agency support your, your canine unit pretty well? Yeah, our agency is great. They, um, they truly see the value in canine. We're very fortunate. Um, all our in-progress calls, the way that we handle them, the response, and this is taught from day one uh, with our new, our new guys, is that everything revolves around canine. Nice. So the call is set up based on how canine is going to respond. And, um, you know, they see the results. They see the value in how efficient canine can be, how it saves manpower, time, you know, obviously the safety concerns. So, and is your, is your agency, an, uh, the type of agency like, like mine, I'm fortunate in mine that as long as you want to remain in your position and you're still doing a good job, then you can stay in it. Is that how it is in your agency or is it one of the ones where they have a mandatory rotation at some point? Yeah, there's no mandatory rotation. Um, which, which also, you know, can be good and bad, but fortunately for me, um, there's no mandatory rotation. But what I see, especially in canine is that's how you get a lot of experience. The agencies that have the mandatory rotation overall, what I see is, you know, as you know, by the time you got into your midway into your second dog, that's when you really started doing well. So you hate to, you hate to have to take all that experience and throw it out and then keep starting over all the time. So uh, it sounds like your agency's you know wants to harvest that experience, which is a good idea, I think. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you think about what you know now through your years in canine, if you could apply that to your first dog, and you wonder how successful you could have been. Yeah, and the so. ones who are reinventing that every single time, you know, with the I've I've seen quite a few that have the one dog and out, and it's kind of you know I, I get they want to spread the experience around, but the experience is so limited that it's difficult. So. So what you and I talked to before the show and uh, what kind of got me get, to get you on today was talking about some of the stuff you're doing that you're using to clear the dog's head, especially you're getting good results when you want the dog to release and stuff. So let's dive into that a little bit. So maybe uh, tell us how you started with this and then I think maybe kind of explain first some of the results you've, you've gotten and then we're going to go backwards and we're going to talk about how you got those results. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I happened to run into a, a civilian trainer named Michael Lorraine. He's down here in South Florida. He's an incredibly talented trainer. And um, I saw what he was doing. And I went out there and started learning from him. The guy really knows his stuff. Um, he's not a cop, but he understands it. He gets what we do, you know, as well as any civilian can. So he's a sport um, dog trainer? Absolutely. Yep. And he's, you know, an accomplished sport dog trainer. So, um, you know, he has credibility to me and, and I've seen him train a lot of dogs and he knows what he's doing. And I think, you know, we can learn from anybody. I don't care if they're a civilian or a cop. So Absolutely, I agree. So, uh, most of the, this method with the release and the toy play comes from him. I, I mean, if not all of it, and it, it, it just is super effective and we're finding that we're getting, um, you know, the highly desirable proper gripping behaviors with a, a dynamic release. So before, yeah. So, so like I said, before we go through the nuts and bolts, I get it. What you're saying is that I think when we talked, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're getting, even on the street when you need it, you can get a good solid verbal release to get the dog back to you and then control, you know, take care of the situation however you want without having to, to fight with the dog, both in training and on the street, even when the dog is in a, a, you know, maybe in a fight and a high level of drive. Right. So you're not having, 
you're not having the issues where people need to go clean their dog up one day before certification or anything. It's just that you've cleared the dog's head and he's working a little bit cleaner all the time is basically what you're saying. Exactly. Cleaner all the time. It's not something that we stress about when certification comes around. We're not stressing about the out. Um, it's something that the dog does and, and he does all the time and, and you don't sacrifice any of the proper gripping behaviors. And, and that's the best part. And in the process of teaching it, you're actually building the gripping behaviors in the dog. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, I, I imagine you, the, the ways are similar to whether you, like if I brought you a problem dog that was four years old and wasn't releasing, I'm sure this technique, these techniques that we've, you and I were talked about, they'll work on that dog. But I also, um, if I, if you have a new dog in your unit, new handler, new dog, let's talk about that situation, the training progression that you start from the beginning before the dog has any bad habits. Let's talk about how, what do you do that that's a little bit different compared to some of the other agencies you've trained with? So the biggest thing, and this might be one of the most important things that we start with, is we make sure that the dog is not barking in prey drive. When the dog is barking in prey drive, he has clouded judgment and wires are arcing in his head. So it's an unnatural state for a dog to bark in prey drive. If the dog sees the rabbit and barks at it, the rabbit runs away and the dog does not eat. So the first thing we have to do is ensure that the dog remains quiet while they're in prey drive. And we do that by back tying the dog and we start out with a, a leather pillow. So we'll use a thick leather pillow that the dog cannot penetrate it. His teeth can't penetrate it. And, um, and when you say leather pillow, you, you buy those at, at any of the canine uh, places and it's basically a bite pillow with, with uh, handles on each side of it. Exactly. So two, usually three handles, two on each side and one on the back. And then we hook up a, uh, what we call a sleeve leash to it. So it's got a line on it and that's important. Um, and I'll explain why here in a minute, but, um, so now we're going to present this, this bite pillow to the dog and we're going to make sure while he's back tied that he is not barking, he's quiet, he's standing and he's not bouncing off the end of the line, wasting energy. He's just staring and stalking the prey item, which is the leather pillow. And when we get the desired behavior, we mark it, you know, yes, and then step in and reward the dog with, with the prey item. So some dogs naturally will not bark and prey, and they they get locked in prey, and, and that's nice. And, and we don't have to worry about keeping them quiet. But most dogs have been reinforced for barking, and um, now we have to quiet them. And, and that's where... It's not difficult, but this is where you got to use, you know, a little bit of compulsion. Um, if timing the reward doesn't work, you know, obviously the first step is let's time the reward for when the dog is quiet and see if he picks up on it. If that doesn't work, then we're going to use a quiet command when the dog barks. And um, you can spray the dog with some lemon juice and, and they don't like that. So that'll usually quiet him up for a couple seconds and then you can. Um, get the desired behaviors where they're quiet, they're stalking you, they're not bouncing off the end of the line and they're standing and mark that and pay it. And um, if that doesn't work, you know, a pinch collar correction can work. And, um, and and when I say a pinch collar correction, so if I'm working the pillow, I'm working the dog, um, I'm going to hold the line standing out in front of them and I can just give them some light collar corrections towards me to help keep them quiet and to help them standing still. Sure. 
Um, from there, if the dog still wants to continue to bark, like some of the dogs you talked about, like a dog that we're trying to clean up or a dog that had previous issues um, with lots of reinforcement history of barking, you might have to go a little bit more extreme and use like a dominant dog collar or a slip line. And same thing, I'm gonna put pressure on that line while I'm working the pillow, um, you know, tell the dog quiet, correct the behavior with the slip line and maybe pair that with a little bit of the e-collar. Couple seconds of that release. Now the dog's quiet, and we go back into the same same process. So when you're doing these first initial ones, some of those dogs you're only going to get a very very small window. Maybe they're barking, 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 and I'm sure you're looking for that timing of just that one or two seconds of clear headedness to to show the dog. When you do this, um, you're going to get the reward here with the pillow. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would like five or 10 seconds of quiet, you know, obviously, but, um, in the beginning when you're trying to just time the reward with the behaviors you like that you're seeing, um, yeah, you might only get one or two seconds and, and kind of hope that they put it together. If they're not putting it together that, Hey, I shut up and I get the pillow, then that's where you got to go into using a little bit of compulsion. And, and, and what's, what's not too bad about that is you're also teaching the dog a quiet command, which you're, you're going to need later in my opinion. Overall, do most of the dogs, if they put together, then it, my experience in doing something similar like this, when I do, I do an e-collar and I use it for shaping problem dogs like this. seems like once they get that one or two second window, then it like clicks. And then the one or two seconds could turn into 30 seconds pretty quickly once they understand to do the desired behavior. Absolutely. Yep. And, and from there, um, you know, th this isn't, Usually this is not a long process, you know, even with the problem dogs that have a long history of barking, um, one or two sessions and they're like, okay, I get it. You know, you're going to do a little bit of proofing where, um, now I got the dog being pretty much quiet. You know, I'm going to run backwards, run away from him. And that's going to make him want to bark, create some frustration. And then if he barks, you know, you tell him quiet and correct him for that. And then once you've got him quiet there, um, you're going to have to stay on top of it just like everything else, but the problem is pretty much fixed. Well, at least you have a tool then built in if you've built in a quiet command, so then you can communicate what, what you want with the dog. Absolutely. So before, before we move on, let's talk for just a second as to why, maybe some people don't understand, why is it so important to have that dog not barking? What does it do to that dog and how, how, train, how much trainability is a dog going to be able to have when he's in that state of mind? I mean, almost none. I mean, when the dog's barking in an unnatural state in prey drive, when a dog normally wouldn't bark, you know, like I said, the wires are arcing in his head. He's He's got clouded judgment. You've heard people talk about, well, my dog, you know, isn't releasing because he glazed over. Well, he's glazed over because of all that barking and prey and all everything that led up to it. Um, so... We have to we have to teach them to be clear, and and it actually benefits the grip um, down the road. So I mean, very quickly. So you're you're going to see that. So so now you've got the dog. He's he's quiet for a second. You deliver the pillow to him, and uh, he gets to say see some of that drive. What's the next step after that? So the next step is with this leather pillow. Since he can't puncture it with his canines, I'm going to steal it from him. So I have that sleeve leash held onto the 
the pillow. I let go of the handles. I go out to the sleeve leash. I let the dog dominate me, enjoy it for a few seconds. And then I'm going to yank it out of his mouth. And this is going to teach the dog very quickly that you need to grip properly and full and hold it or I'm going to steal it from you. And um, you'll be surprised at how quickly the dogs come out of their shell and how they, they go from being, you know, operating at 30% to, all right, now we got them at 100% because within a couple sessions, you're not going to be able to steal that pillow from that dog. And he, he is going to be, he's going to be holding it nice. And um, you're going to see a whole nother dog because of it. So when I steal the pillow now, um, now I'm going to kick them, kick them into prey drive, right? So the pillow comes out of their mouth. It lands on the ground next to them. And I'm going to kick the pillow off to the side. So now the dog chases it as he goes towards it. I yank it, yank it out just before he can grab it. So he chases it, misses it. Now I kick it the other way. He chases it, misses it. And, and this is making it fun and exciting for him. Um, so he's in prey drive. He's having the time of his life. And um, now I pick up the pillow again and we go back into stalking the prey item. I'm slowly going to move side to side and presenting the toy, waiting for the desired behaviors, no barking, no bouncing off the line and no sitting. Once the dog stalks it nicely, I mark it and pay again. And, and then the process continues. Each session that you do from the beginning, how long are these sessions? It might be, you know, five to seven minutes. I'd say you probably get about 10 or 15, you know, grips in there. And, um, and it doesn't take many sessions. So, you know, typically let's say, you know, one to three sessions and then you're, you're not stealing the pillow from the dog. Oh, and we grease up the leather pillow with, with coconut oil too. So it's, it's very hard to hold on to. Sure. Not, not too long of sessions, but you know, all positive. When the dog now, now he grips it and I can't steal it from him. Um, I let him carry it off the field. And then from there, the, uh, the handler is going to physically remove it from, from the dog's mouth and, uh, and put the dog up. And, and for me, now we're ready to move on to the release. But let's back up for a second. Say you have a dog that's resisting that training and you do have to do a little compulsion. So you might have to stay at that first step two or three or four times, however many times. Is that dog when you know you put them away? What my experience doing kind of this type of similar stuff is that when you get them back out in twenty or thirty minutes, it's like they show marked progress each and every time they come back out of the car. Is that something that you see in this uh, training yeah. progression also? Absolutely, and, and you bring up a great point. Negative punishment is a very powerful tool. So when you steal that toy and put the dog up hot and, and bring him back out again, he comes out even harder and, and ready for more. It, it is a very, very powerful training tool. So yeah, the, each session you're going to see progression and progression. Sure. And I bring that up because, you know, the, the, the Achilles heel of all of dog trainers, myself included, is that one more, let's do one more. So I think when you see the progression doing any type of modular training like this and you don't do that, let's do one more and you put them up, like you say, hot, it seems like the benefits come out really well in all these different modules that um, that they come out where they're more clear-headed and they'll uh, try and almost uh, be more cognitive. They're, they're trying to understand the game better than when they're just barking and being crazy. 
Absolutely. And, and they come out more powerful too. You know, if, if I steal the toy from the dog, cause he's not gripping it properly and he's not really making the effort that I would like to see, go put him in the car, bring him out in 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm betting the next time he's going to be, he's going to be all in or close to it, you yeah. know? And let's talk about that. There's a, and I, I assume you and I are on the same page, even though we've never talked about this. When you say put him in the car, I, in my opinion, that's going to be like a non-emotional. It's just going to be, if you don't want to work, then I'm going to walk you over to the car. There's no punishment. There's no good. There's no bad. It's just, I guess you don't want to do this right now. I'm going to go put you away just to keep it, uh, almost build that frustration without having the negative, um, like the punishment part of it with the handle and the dog. Absolutely. And great point. Yeah. No punishment from the handler, the, um, the decoy or the helper is going to run away with the prey item, uh, making crazy noises and, now the dog goes in the car with no emotion from the handler. So then moving on, what's, what's your next step? He's doing, he's biting that as good as he can and being more quiet every time you bring him out. Where do you go with, you know, as you, as you progress, what's your next step? So, um, the next step is we're, we're going to go to a, a bite pillow and, um, like, you know, picture a, a big, huge tug, six inches in diameter. ALM makes a real nice one. And, um, the same thing with that, that's going to have a sleeve leash on it. And, um, and we're going to pretty much do the same process, but now instead of stealing this tug, we're going to tell the dog to out. Um, and, but before we do that, there, there were a couple basics that I wanted to cover. Um, if you don't mind that I think are absolutely apply, um, you know, one of them is that we talked about is I like to use a generic release command. So for now, I'm going to tell the dog, let's say drop instead of, and later on, I'm going to change his, his release command to something else. Let's say out. Um, but I'm going to use drop now for a while. So if there are corrections and imperfect outs, they're associated with this generic term. And later on, once the release is really solid and really nice, I'll change the, the, the signal, the release signal, and um, the dog will only have positive and really good repetitions associated with that new signal. And adding the new signal is very easy. You just go new signal, old signal. So if the old signal is drop and the new signal is out, you just say out, drop, out, drop, you know, and that's going to be, that's how you're going to get the dog to, to release. And that doesn't take long to that doesn't take long to pair those words, and then then you can get rid of the second word pretty quickly. Absolutely. And I'm going to jump in here. I like that we talked about that before the podcast. And one of the things my experience is I like about that is that you know, like you, uh, a lot of times when people contact me, um, their big problem is they're they're trying to get a release in. That seems to be kind of a common problem. So one of the things I often will do is look at what they're doing. And then when I start working a release, I get a whole nother word because there's so much bad juju, if you will, associated with that word. They know that when they hear that word, two lines are coming out and three different collars and an e-collar and everything else. And they're, they're ready for the fight. It's just one of those, uh, the, the analogy I always give is that pretty much anybody could go home to their wife or husband or girlfriend or whatever and say one or two words and know you're going to be sleeping on the couch that night because there's there's bad uh, feelings about a word or a name or something. So it seems like bringing in a fresh word 
um, on an experienced dog has helped me. So I like the idea, and I've never done that before, that when you're training them, use a almost a throwaway term, and then when they when they understand the behavior, switch it over and have that be the, the clean word for the rest of their working career. So I think that's a something fairly unique. I haven't seen people do, but I really like the concept of it. Yeah, it seems to work out nice. And we've done the same thing that you just spoke about, just changing the command. Because after a while, um, what the dog's been reinforced for with these problem dogs is they've, you know, the release command doesn't mean release. It means grip harder, you know, exactly. and, and associated with all that, that bad juju that you speak of. So now, now you've got the bite pillow out and you're going to, so you bring the dog back out, same, same place, same scenario. He's quiet. You deliver the bite pillow. And then what's the next step that you're going to do? Real quickly, I'd like to talk about, so terminal bridge discrimination. So we're going to have two, two markers. One is yes, which is going to be where the dog um, bites the pillow while I'm holding it. And the other one's going to be get it where the, the toy is on the ground. So the dog gets to differentiate get it means bite it while it's on the ground. And yes, means while I'm holding it. So since we have those, once we get the release, we're going to go for the release, right? And, and, and this is a big thing and a problem that I see is people swapping toy for toy, you know, using two toys. Yes. Um, not a fan, you know, one toy, don't trade one for another. Don't trick the dog. You know, the dog learns you out this toy, you get it again. And, and that's part of what I'm referring to. when when I say the terminal bridge discrimination, you're going to see here in just a second. I agree. I agree with your point there because what I always see is that if you're trading toys, the dog still has a toy. There's no in my in my mind. There's not a lot of obedience to it. It's just you're going to give me you you are going to give me something else I want as opposed to us thinking dog you're going to let go of my toy and I will give my toy back to the dog when I want to. So I agree that uh, I think there's that's a it's a crutch that I see people get some success with, but then when you try to extinguish the two toy system you're back to kind of what I think you're going to describe right now. Right. So use the one toy and, and using the get it command. So we're going to get to it in a second, but when I tell the dog to release and he drops the toy and he does it perfectly, um, I'm going to say, get it right away. And the dog gets to, gets to get the toy again right away. So they learn, you know, I release nicely and I get it again. Um, Another big thing that I think we need to cover is give the dog one release command. Don't keep repeating the command over and over again. So if the release command is drop, it should sound like drop. And then if the dog does not drop it, then no. And the correction comes on the word no. It cannot, it cannot happen on the release command. If you do the correction and the release command at the same time, then the correction becomes the release command. Sure. You follow me? So you, you gotta have, you gotta have one command and you hear guys doing it all the time where they're saying, you know, drop, 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 drop. No, you say it one time. Otherwise you're getting corrected. And, and that way you're all, always only going to have to say it one time. How long are you going to wait between drop and no before you deliver a correction? Second and a half. Um, I mean, the dog has to, it has to be immediate. It's on our terms. It's not on the dog's terms. Once the dog learns it, he knows, and they're testing you and pushing you. If, if you allow the dog to hold it for five seconds, well, that's what you're always going to get. You're going to get what you reinforce. 
Um, so a second and a half, and the dog has to make a, a really solid effort to spit the toy very quickly, and they can't come off in pieces. They can't bite down on the toy two more times as they're releasing it. That warrants a correction, in my opinion. Otherwise, that's what you're always going to get. Spit the toy as fast as you came in to strike it, spit it just as fast, and then you'll get it again, and you won't get corrected, right? Sure. And so, um, you know, and but when you say no, it must always come with a correction. You can't have empty threats. And a lot of guys will do this. They'll go, oh, well, I'm doing, um, you know, agility over here. So, you know, I don't need my e-collar that you normally need for ensuring that the dog is clean on the outs. And then all of a sudden the dog wants to give them the middle finger and they have no means to correct the dog. And now your words mean nothing because you're saying no, 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 no. And, and it's an empty threat. I agree. So, um, and then another thing I see that I just wanted to cover real quickly was nagging the dog with the e-collar. You know, we talk about nagging a dog when you're teaching them to heal, you know, being on his neck. And I think people do it with the e-collar as well. Don't nag the dog, use it. So you don't have to use it. Um, you know, you got to be careful with this with green dogs or dogs that don't have any experience with e-collars and how you introduce it, but use a little bit stronger correction. So you don't have to use it, use it and be done with it. I agree. I agree. I think you see a lot of people like when you say nagging, what I see is people start conditioning their dog. You can take 10, you can take 15, you can take 20 and the dog, any dog will learn that, you know, it's a weird feeling, but you know, if I could take 10, if they go real slow and they're trying to be nice to their dog or something without delivering an actual correction, that nagging pretty soon you're working the dog on 85 because the dog's learned no big deal. I can, I can accept this. So I think that's a good point. Uh, absolutely. And, and part of this system, so the dog gets a correction and then you kick the toy off to the side and kick him into prey drive immediately. And he gets out of that funk, you know, now he's, now he's chasing something and um, that, that, Oh, I just got corrected is, is, that feeling is gone because now, Oh, prey drive, <laughs> you know, yeah, Oh, look, a bunny. Funny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, don't be afraid to use a little bit stronger correction. Um, very good point. And so we have to allow the dog to make decisions, right? So if, if the dog tries to lunge and, and bite the toy before I give him the release command, most handlers are going to pull the toy away and make it so the dog cannot access it. Instead of doing that, we should correct the dog for going in and trying to bite it and then put the toy in his face and say, go ahead and bite it and see what happens. You know, you're going to get corrected. Now, forcing the dog to make decisions um, by pulling it away, we're making the item prey. And then we're also taking away the dog's ability to make a decision. Um, so we're making it more enticing for him and, and not allowing him to make decisions. And you're not capping the drive at all by doing that. You're just, you're almost increasing the drive back to that crazy prey. Exactly. And, and another example of that would be the end of the session. Now the toys on the ground and, um, you know, the handler is about to walk off the field and then command the dog to walk with them. Um, do they have tension on the line preventing the dog from getting to the toy? you know, which is tapping into opposition reflex and making the dog want to go at the toy more, or is there slack in the line? You know, I'm going to have slack in the line and allow my dog, if he wants to go for that toy, he can go for it, 
but he's going to get corrected for it because I did not allow him to, to go for it. So I think that's important. As I well. do too. And I think a lot of times uh, people don't realize that just that tension in the line that just teaches the dog. I don't have to really listen to you because you're, you're, you're almost, you're controlling the dog as opposed to the dog almost uh, controlling himself. Absolutely. He, he can't make decisions there. So, um, all right. So now we're on to the actual release. Um, we're using the, the, the big bite pillow and it's, it's like a, it's like a mini bite suit, right? It's a super high value reward for the dogs. So, so they love it. Um, um, we're at same steps, the dog's back tied. We present the toy. We take, um, slow, small steps from side to side. Dog's not allowed to bark. He's not allowed to bounce off the end of the line. He can't sit and he has to stalk the prey. Once the dog's doing all these things, we mark it and the dog gets to strike the toy. Um, we don't know suicide bunnies, so we don't put the toy down real low and shove it in his face. We put it up high and we make him drive in and strike it. Right. So we, we develop a nice striking behavior. Um, and then from there, now the dog's holding the toy. We go back to that sleeve leash. So now I'm holding onto that toy by that line that's on it. And we're going to introduce the leash. So the first step of that is I'm going to create tension or slack in the line that I'm holding. I'm not going to pull on it, making tension on the, the prey item. I'm going to have it nice and loose and I'm going to give the command. Um, after the command, the dog's probably not going to do it. If he's never had the command before or doesn't understand releases, then comes a correction, right? And the correction comes on the word no. So it's drop, no, correction, boom, the dog releases it. And like we talked about, now he released it. He just got a correction and he's kind of like, uh-oh, what's going on? So we say, get it and kick the kick the toy off to the side now the dog's off chasing the toy right back into prey drive and out of that funk and we repeat that process over and over again until the dog is just super solid on it now he, now some dogs aren't going to be solid on their first go around right so you, you just have to accept maybe if the dog's a little bit better then you'll put them up at some point but there has to be a kind of a termination at, for these modules right yeah i mean Typically what I'm seeing is, is the first session within the first session, they're spitting the toy like yesterday, you know, I mean, it's, it's really, really nice. It happens really quickly. Um, they just with the, the proper, you know, correction, the timing of the get it when they do release it properly, most dogs are getting it in that first session and they're going to regress, right? They're going to go back on the next session or the next two sessions and they're not going to do it perfectly. And that's why it's training. Right. So, but it, it does happen very quickly. You'd be surprised. And, and same thing here with the corrections, you know, I mean, um, it doesn't always have to be just an e-collar correction. You can utilize a dominant dog collar and a slip line or a slip line and pair that with the e-collar. Um, you can, Depending on the dog, if the dog doesn't need a, a hard correction, you you might not need an e-collar at all. It might just be a really light pinch collar correction, you know? Uh, so obviously it depends on every dog, you know, what level of compulsion you're going to use here. But in the end, this isn't, this isn't something that's taken a, a really long time. You're using a, this bite pillow that's basically looks just like, feels like a bite suit. Um, and the dogs are picking it up pretty good just because you're putting in that clear headedness and then the right correction with the right timing. Exactly. I mean, because they're clear and they're not barking in prey drive, it happens so quickly. Uh, it's 
it's amazing. Uh, I mean, to me, it's just, it's unreal. Like how quickly it happens. It, it's a big difference from the way we used to train it. Um, and, and it, that's why I wanted to do this podcast and get this information out there because it's, it's so valuable to us. And I, I want other guys to know about it. I think that it, it, it just works great. It's like, man, why doesn't everyone do this? <laughs> um, and it, it's impressive. The proper gripping behaviors, the, the dynamic release, it really works out very nicely. Um, and then it, it transfers right over, I, you know, from there, they're biting a, a, a toy that's like a, a, a bite suit. And then within that first week, I'm going right to the bite suit and I'll catch them on my bicep, my left bicep. And um, I go right into releases um, on their first bite on the bite suit. You know, they, they probably haven't seen a bite suit other than when I tested them, um, most of these dogs. But their first bite on the suit is going to be a release. It's going to be a verbal release. And it's going to be the same exact progression and the same command and the same everything that we just did with the toy. And you're doing this, you're doing each one of these um, in the same place. So I mean, the dog is kind of learning this game that when I get tied to this pole on this field, this is what's going to happen. So the bite suit probably has just a natural progression that, you know, I know I'm biting. What am, what am I going to bite today? Absolutely. And it's the same, you know, the bite suit's a 200 pound guy and, you know, a huge, huge toy, right? So it's the same exact thing. And now we just work on targeting and getting them on the left bicep and, and, um, you know, catching them frontal. And then, um, now when I'm in the bite suit, I can't, I can't roll, roll around on the ground and make myself pray that way. So when I need to excite the dog, uh, you know, perhaps after a correction or, um, he seems to be in a little bit of a funk, then I'll just make a miss. I'll dip my shoulder in. And when he, when he comes into strike, I pull it away, make a miss once or twice. And that, you know, gets him into that excited boat. And that's pretty much replacing kicking the toy off to the side and allowing them to chase it. Sure. Are you using a get it command then, or what command would you give the dog with the bite suit? So with the bite suit, we're, um, we're going to use the bite command okay. there. So I'll transfer it over. Um, what a, uh, yep, absolutely. But we're going to stick with our generic release command until that release is really solid, which, you know, usually doesn't take long, but um, stick with that generic release command of, of drop. And one of the things I like about what you're talking about is I can imagine since you're only working the dog when he's clear headed that, you know, I see these people who say, oh my God, if my dog sees a bite suit, he's crazy. And I hate that because I, I think it's an inanimate object and you should be able to control your dog in that. But this must eliminate a lot of that behavior because the dog understands I need to be clear headed whether you're wearing a bite suit or not. And it, it probably takes away some of that crazy prey just because the dog sees somebody in a bite suit. Yes, absolutely. And, and we're very quickly going to move to neutralizing the dog to not just suits, but toys and we're not just going to put one toy out on the field we're going to put five toys on the field we're going to put two bite suits out on the field multiple sleeves and the dog's going to work around them all the time we're going to flood them with a bunch of objects we don't leave one one toy out there for the dog to obsess over we put a bunch of them out there and we allow the dog to make the decision go ahead and go for that you know I'm probably not going to say anything to the dog I'm just going to give him a light e-collar correction that'll be between him and the you know, the toy on the ground or the sleeve on the ground and just give them a light e-collar correction there. And, um, 
you know, a couple sessions of that and, and they're not even looking at the toys anymore. Sure. Cause you're training. Yeah. yeah. You're training the dog. There's a, there's a one group of, of thought of, well, I just will never let my dog go around a bite suit. Well, that's, that isn't real practical in my opinion. So why not just train the dog to be uh, neutral to it? So I like yep. it. You know, drive capping like you spoke of. Exactly. So you're in the bite suit. He starts releasing. Is there a time where you're going to now not have him back tied and use the same progression? Or will it pretty much transfer over by the time you uh, don't back tie him? Is that instilled in him properly enough that uh, you're already down the road? Um, Yeah, we're going to go right from the back tie to a bungee. So we have a 50-foot bungee with a 30-foot line on it that we're going to go right to that. So we'll, we'll go back to the leather pillow on the bungee for a few times. So they get to feel that tension of the bungee running out, biting the leather pillow, making sure that they're striking hard. And then from there, it's going to go, you know, right back into the bite suit. So they are back tied, but they're on that long bungee and, um, you know, and that sets, sets the hook and, you know, uses opposition reflex and yeah i was gonna um, say let's Korea. talk let's talk about bungees real quick because i like using a bungee but I, I i don't see as many people using them so first off where did you find your bungee where did you get that oh that's a good question um we got it a couple of years ago i'll have to get back to you okay. on that <laughs> well i know i know like a lot of a lot of places like ray allen sells a bungee and you can even get them for for other other sports and stuff but most of the canine places i know uh, will sell a, a, a nice heavy duty bungee cord that you can that has a big loop on one end of it that you can uh, then you know put it around a pole or put it over something and then use it but i just wanted to touch on that because you mentioned it but i i think there's a a good use for bungees that people don't uh, realize so you're using it obviously you said for the opposition reflex to to get the dog to, to bite harder again right and then um entries you know when the dog makes it to the the decoy he is at the highest amount of tension which is going to increase his speed, increases his drive. And um, so now when you take him off of the bungee, he's going to be flying on entries because he's used to running the fastest when he's closest to the decoy, trying the hardest when he's closest to the decoy. Um, And it's the gym for them. You know, I mean, very quickly because they live on the bungee with us. I mean, we, once we go to the bungee, they're on the bungee every single night. Um, very rarely are they biting not on the bungee for the first month in school, you know, once we get the release and, um, and and even, even after that, we're going to continue to use it. So, um, so you're using it both for training and for conditioning. Absolutely. I mean, I like it. it. You're getting both at the same time. And, um, so now the dog goes out, bites the decoy and we catch them frontal, you know, and it's just, uh, I really like it working the dog in front of you, you see what you got. And as the decoy, you can, you can pull in on the harness and release the tension on the bungee and get the dog to reset. You can, you can really work the dog when he's frontal, when the dog's biting on, on your tricep, you know, you can barely even see what's going on. So yeah, I agree. And, and if you see it, you can't do anything about it. Cause you can't quite reach back there where the dog's at. Exactly. So I'm working them. Um, the dog comes in, strikes at the end of the bungee. I move in, release a little bit of the tension of the bungee. So when the dog releases, he doesn't go flying back. Um, I grab onto the line that's, that's attached to their collar as the decoy. I'm going to hold that and we get the release. And now the dog stands there and is doing exactly what we taught him with the toy. He's standing and guarding. 
So now the dog is standing there staring at the decoy and the handler uses the, the out command, which, you know, ends up being a, a stand and guard command because you can't stand and guard and bite at the same time. So, you know, say the command is out, the handler saying out, and I move to the side, the dog follows me. And the reason I like to stand and guard is because I can pay the dog right away if he outs perfectly. The dog outs perfectly, I dip my shoulder, the handler gives the bite command, boom. You know, you out perfectly, you get paid again right away. So that's why the standing guard is so nice. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at. And, you know, there are some arguments against the standing guard that I've heard people say that, well, that then sometimes the dog doesn't want to come back to me. Um, well, we do so many restrained recalls. The dogs love, love, love coming back to the handler that sometimes we actually have the opposite problem where they want to come back to the handler. And then we just have to balance it out and give them more more bites with the decoy, you know. So just like everything else in dog training, it's balance. Right? Yeah, exactly. And we could do a whole a whole another show on recalls maybe someday. I, it, and so at this point, um, that's pretty much your progression. And now you've got the dog at either at, you could probably then even take him off the the bungee, off of everything. Maybe just have a knee collar for backup, and that progression is just going to keep working into different release commands to some distance from the handler. Maybe the, the decoy is starting to move more. Um, you're just going to start ramping it up because he's got the foundation for the proper proper mindset, and then he understands the correction's coming. So now you can just kind of keep increasing what the decoy is doing and the, the place that maybe, you know, where, the, where he finds the decoy, dark rooms, under stuff, whatever. I, I would imagine that's how you keep progressing from there. Exactly. Yep. I mean... You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we do. And I do something pretty similar with the, I, I, it's the, the technique is similar, but I do it with an e-collar and I do it with two or three decoys on a field, but it's clearing the dog's head. It's shaping his behavior. And then it's increasing the, the drive that the dog is in every single time he's out there and keep shaping the behavior based on the foundation I get from the first day. And all of a sudden, you know, like I do a three day e-collar class and by the end of the second day, I'll have dogs that didn't release at all the first day and I'll have literally five or six decoys out on a softball field and the dog will run to any decoy we tell them to with the handler just standing in the middle of the field, not moving, coming back to the handler. It's just teaching that game. So I think we're talking about the same thing. It's basically clear as head, teach them whatever game you want. And then it opens up a whole world to you to where you're not constantly fighting the training all the time or the dog's not fighting the training the dog learns the whatever game you want to teach him. And now I would imagine once you started doing this technique a lot and you got good success with it, I would imagine that you could spend a lot more time doing scenario-based training, which is where our profession is lacking a lot right now, to where you could really set up good scenarios, put the handlers and the dogs under some stress and not have to spend half your training day or better doing simple release work. Yeah, you're right. And, and not only that, I mean, Think about the releases off the toy. I mean, there's been a lot of teams that I've seen that, that their dogs don't even release the toy. Think about how many repetitions you can get in obedience or whatever else you want to teach the dog if your dog has a proper release, you know, detection work, whatever. Um, so, yes, having the dog clear is, is a priority. Um, you know, just listen. Listen to what I'm telling you to do. That's all the dog has to do. And when they're clear, they can listen. When they're barking and they're... The wires are arcing in their head. They're not listening. Um, and 
Yeah. And it, and it all comes together. And, and like you said, the scenario based training, then we can ramp that up. We can spend more time tracking, you know, which is important for, for where we're at and what we're doing and, um, and setting up sure. those scenarios. So I have one question that came to mind is we talked about the dog being back tied. Where's what's the back dog back tied on? Is he on a leather collar? Is he on a harness? Uh, describe your equipment based for that. Um, we would, we use a harness, um, we hook him to the harness and it's just a flat line that he's back tied to. There's no, you know, bungee inserted in that line. And it's only about a, you know, 10 or 15 foot line, you know, attached to the pole. Um, yeah. So I, and, and I like the harness, our dogs have harnesses on, you know, unless they're one of the dogs that, that choose the harness, they wear them all the time. And that way they're always ready to go. I know some people like the, you know, the equipment orientation of now you're doing this, now you're doing this. Um, I, I haven't been a fan of that. Um, I, I see the value in it, but I like the dog ready to go. If I need to jump out of the car and I want them having the harness on. Well, and you're, you, you guys are single purpose patrol, right? Right. Yep. And, and it's drive neutrality too. You know, I mean, just cause you have your harness on doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to go get to, to bite the decoy every time. So. Exactly. It's, it's just a piece of equipment. It's your uniform you wear to work. So, well, I think we've got, a, we've got a pretty good handle on this. I try to keep these shows to, you know, around uh, 30, 40 minutes. We went a little over, but I think it was really good information. So you did mention a, a second ago about tracking, and I know you do a lot of tracking down there, and you've had uh, good success doing some hard surface tracking. So if possible, I'd like to get you back on someday to do another show. We could... Uh, go over some of the tracking stuff if you if you were interested in that yeah i would love to I, i'd be honored to okay well i appreciate your time today and uh, we'll figure out that time we're going to be able to get, get you on again i think this is really good uh, information if it's all right with you i'll put your email in the show notes so if uh, people have questions do you mind if they email you no not at all yeah that would be great so this is the type of stuff that we, we teach classes like this all the time. It hits uh, seminars. We'll be in uh, Phoenix in July of this year, providing that the world goes back to normal. So uh, if you like this type of, of instruction, we do three days of uh, all classroom instruction there. Lots of networking, lots of different uh, people to, to meet and talk to. So uh, check out hitscanine.net uh, for more information about HITS. And Eric, thanks again for your time today. I sure appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come the HITS 2021. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come the HITS 2021 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2021 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffles and gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there and we've been there too.